Well, it's good to be back with you again. Last couple of weeks, I've talked about uh, the the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, and today we're going to wrap it up in the omnis with the omnipresence of God. One of the most challenging experiences that I had when I was younger was the transition of being an athlete to no longer having an opportunity to play the sport. When I went from being a college baseball player to not having that opportunity after my senior year at Biola, I didn't know what I was going to do. It was a summer of, well, what I thought was going to be emptiness. The first summer in a long time of no baseball, what would my opportunities be? What would I do? <laughs> Woe was me. But God opened an interesting door that year. I met a man by the name of Domingo Moda, and the last name for any baseball fans might sound familiar. He's one of many of Manny Moda's sons. And Domingo Moda is a very strong, committed Christian. He's a man that has a heart for the community. And he established a, a baseball organization for inner city kids called LA Kids. And it brought in all kinds of, uh, of, of, stu- of kids from the community who were really not very well off, couldn't, couldn't afford much of anything. And it gave them a week-long baseball experience. And because of his connection with the Dodgers, Dodger players from old and current at that time would come and and speak to the kids and and be a part of our experience out there. And I got to be a coach for this L.A. kids community and work with the Manny Mota Foundation and the Los Angeles Dodgers. But during my time there, I developed this thought that perhaps, just maybe, Steve Garvey could be omnipresent because Steve Garvey would show up everywhere at every opportunity that there was at this camp it didn't matter where we went if the camp was at Dodger Stadium Steve Garvey happened to be there if the camp was in some park somewhere Steve Garvey would happen to be there if we went to a dinner Steve Garvey was the keynote speaker and it just seemed like Steve Garvey was showing up everywhere during this summer that I started to wonder if Steve Garvey was omnipresent. Well, you think, well, there's no way. He couldn't be omnipresent. He's just a human being, and you kind of dismiss it. And I kind of moved on with my life after that time. I grew up and had some kids and decided one day last summer that I would take my son, who for some reason likes the Atlanta Braves, but you have to understand that my son's favorite team is whatever t-ball team he's on. So last year he was on the Atlanta Braves, so his favorite team was the Braves, and so when the Braves came into town to play the Dodgers, guess where he wanted to go? Let's go see the Braves game. And that was a fun game. I actually caught in the left field pavilion, I caught a Max Muncy home run. That was a cool experience. But then my son and I decided to go around, and he was getting hungry, and he wanted some food. And if you've ever been to the Dodger game, you know how expensive it is. So I'm looking around for some cheap food, and I see a sign, and it says, free hot wings, try our new sauce. So I'm in this long line to get some free hot wings, and I finally get up to the counter, and guess who's handing out the free hot wings at Dodger Stadium? Steve Garvey. I don't really think that Steve Garvey's omnipresent. But he does seem to show up everywhere in some weird circumstances. 
And I want to contrast that with God. God doesn't just happen to show up in some weird, odd locations and just happen to be there at some inopportune times or maybe some opportune times. When we say that God is omnipresent, we mean that He is everywhere present at the same time. And all of His attributes, all of His power is always present. He doesn't just someone we run into and happen to bump into handing out hot wings at Dodger Stadium. But He's everywhere present at the same time. And that gives me great comfort. And I realize that as human beings, we are not omnipresent. A couple of weeks ago, I I had an opportunity to deliver a message down in San Clemente at uh, the church that my mom goes to, and it was a week that I was not able to be here. And I realize that now I am here, I'm unable to be at the beach with my mom. But God is. God is in every church this morning. God is with those that can't make it to church this morning, whether it be the travels or whether it be illness, sickness, whatever the reason may be, God is present with them. God is not a Steve Garvey type that just happens to show up in random places. He's everywhere present at the same time. And that gives me great comfort. Perhaps the great uh, evangelist Tony Evans uh, summarizes these three attributes that we've talked about uh, best when he says, God knows what needs to be done. That's omniscience. He has the power to do it. and That's omnipotence. And He's always wherever He needs to be to do whatever needs to be done. That's His omnipresence. And so we really bring all of these three attributes together because they're not to be understood separately. Now, I can give a separate message on the omnipotence of God as I did a few weeks ago. I can give a message on the omniscience of God. But really, I think we better appreciate when we see all of these attributes all summarized into one. And I'd hope to today kind of bring it all together as we talk about focusing on the omnipresence of God, but really celebrating the omnis, all of them. Christian apologist and pastor Ray Pritchard writes that God's omnipresence is one of the most difficult doctrines in the entire Bible. The question, where is God, is a very important question. The seeker wants to know, and so does the skeptic. And so does the guilty sinner so he can run the other way. And so does the hurting person who feels abandoned by the Almighty. Where is God when I need Him? Now this was a a question that was all over the internet many years ago when the planes crashed into buildings on September 11, 2001. And I remember doing a little bit of a, a study just wanting to get into at that time, I was in seminary, and I needed to come up with a paper to write to graduate. And it had to be something in the field of apologetics, something in the field of philosophy where my study was. And as soon as that event happened, and I scaled the internet for ideas, the question, where is God, kept coming up. There were hurting people during that time. As a nation, we were hurting And we were asking the question, where was God during this tragedy? The atheist was using it to show that it doesn't make sense to believe in God. How could God be all-powerful and omnipresent and all-good and still allow such tragedies to happen? Now that question is 
really to be answered another time. Today, what I want to focus on is just the aspect of that question. When somebody asks, where is God? That does seem to be more of an emotional response. Because theologically and practically from our experience, we know that God being omnipresent is everywhere present at the same time. I think we can get into another time even uh, why God would allow such horrible things to happen. And we personalize it in our own lives as well, don't we? Why does God allow and then we fill in the blank? Whatever the hurt, whatever the heartache might be in your own life. But today I'm here to just share where is God when the struggles happen? He's everywhere present at the same time. So He's no more further away from you when you're struggling as He is close to you when things are going well. There may be times when we feel like He's further away, but the reality is He is there drawing close to each one of us. His presence is just as real. I want to focus today, last time we, we spent some time talking about uh, Psalm 139. And, and I kind of mixed and matched some, some verses that, that really focused during that time on the omniscience of God. And so today is really finishing that message in Psalm 139 by looking at the passages and the pieces that, that focus more on the omnipresence of God. So in Psalm 139, 7 through 12, and then in a few moments we'll break this down, David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. And as we break these down, just go back to the the first part here, verse 7. David asks two questions that I believe are rhetorical questions. Because he asks, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is a resounding nowhere. There's nowhere that we can go to flee from God's presence. He is by omnipresent. He is everywhere present at the same time. Now, we try to run, don't we? We try to hide. But does it work? No. Because of His omnipresence. In verse 8, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. David's contemplating how high can I go to get away from God? There's no height that you can go to, to escape God. He's in the the highest of highs. And yet, he's in the lowest of lows. I think it's interesting to consider the the Jewish view of heaven because there are some some passages in Scripture that get a little bit complicated. And and one, I think, is from 1 Corinthians where he's talking about the, the, Paul's talking about the three heavens. People wonder, well, where's the three heavens? I want to get to the highest heaven, the good, bad, and the ugly, right? I'd rather be in the good heaven. But the Jewish understanding is that there's three heavens, not three levels of heaven, not a get to the highest level, A, B, C, but there are three different types of heaven. Uh, When God takes Abraham out to look at the stars and gives him the promise, he said, look up into the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. So one aspect of, of, of heavens 
is very physical. It's, it's just the, the, the sky. Then you can go further and further out, really to a second heaven that's way outer space. They, they get you out there to the planets. And then there's a third heaven, but it's not the third level or something like that, but it would be the place that, that God dwells and where absent from the body is present with the Lord. So there, there is an understanding of, of, of different heavens. Some are physical heavens and some are, uh, are, are, are so the one is spiritual heaven. But the point here is that when he says, if I go up to the heavens, you are there, there's no place that David could go to escape God. Suppose he's even looking up at the starry sky and wonders, how far could I go? What planet could I be on up there that would escape God's presence? And the answer is, Nowhere. And when you think about the very depths as well, there's no valley low enough that you can go to hide from God because He is there. His presence is in the lowest of lows. But I think of this also not just as physical, going up into outer space and a spaceship trying to escape God or digging a hole big enough for me to try to get down to the bottom of the, the pit to try to escape God. But, but I look at this also possibly in our lives anyways as emotional highs and lows. Because sometimes we go through emotional highs and the attitude is, look at what I've done. It's, it's very prideful. And we, we get to the highest of highs in our lives and we tend to forget God rather than giving Him the glory and the honor for helping us or getting us to achieve that, that height. Billy Graham talks about turtles on fence posts and says that he is like a turtle on a fence post. If you ever are walking around and you happen to see a turtle on a fence post, you can know for sure that he didn't get there by himself. Somebody had to put him there. And Billy Graham, in his humility, recognizes that he is but a turtle on a fence post. He is one who God has placed him in an elevated location and opportunity for ministry. And I wonder, when we get to the highest of heights, whatever that may be in our lives, some of you have been there, others are destined to go there, but when you reach to the highest of heights, remember, but a turtle on a fence post. <laughs> God has placed us there. Don't get to the highest of heights and forget Him. Continue to dwell in His presence even when things are going well. On the other hand, though, we find ourselves sometimes at the bottom of the pit. So one person says, I feel like I'm at the bottom, looking up at the bottom of the pit. <laughs> I mean, how low can our lives go? And sometimes in the lowness, we feel so much despair that we feel that God has abandoned us. And oftentimes it's there that we, we, we realize that, that God has not abandoned us. I think here of that old poem of the footprints in the sand, right? The whole time we're walking along the beach and we see the, 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 the two sets of footprints as we're walking with God and everything seems to be going well. But then during the most difficult times of life, we only see one set of footprints and we get to looking back and we say, God, how come when I was at the lowest of lows, you abandoned me? And God's response from the footprints poem, I didn't abandon you. It was those times when you were the lowest of lows. You see one set of footprints. It was there that I carried you. It was God's footprints 
that we're the one set of footprints in the sand. And our emotions of, of feeling like God has abandoned us are not really... I mean, we, we, we have validity in our emotions. I'm not undermining emotions at all. But the reality is, the better we can understand God's omnipresence, the better we can be comforted in our times of need. Turning to verse 9. From the highs and lows, he now turns from the east to the west. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, and so here we, we, we tend to see this east and west. David cannot escape God going height or depth. Now he's going to ask, but what if I go on the wings of the dawn? The wings of the dawn, as I looked this up to, to see what he might have meant by this, is that time in the morning when the sun rises. And it only lasts for a, a short time when the sun is rising and, and the rays glisten off the mountains and they, they glisten off the sky, once the sun has, is completely risen, you, you lose these wings of the dawn. They only last for a moment. David is saying, if I can for a moment just grasp the wings of the dawn, could I escape God by just making it happen just so quickly and fast? No. No matter how fast we go, God is still there because of His omnipresence. But what if, what if I go to the far side of the sea? Now, understanding the, the structure of where Israel is and the, the Mediterranean Sea being as, really as far out as they could see from the shore, these people were not mariners. They didn't really understand how the sea worked. Many of them would have been terrified of the sea. And yet David says, if I were to go to the farthest distance of the sea, God would still be there. And I liken it also to, what if you were on a desert island, alone, with nobody else to talk to? And as I thought about this, what came to my mind was the movie Castaway. Now, because I have a lot of young children, I've got three young children at home, uh, over the last couple of years, my family and I have kind of be, been reliving some of the old classic movies. It's a first time for them, and it's a, a, a many old times for my wife and I. But it's been fun to go back and watch some of these old movies. And as we watched Castaway, one of the things that I was astonished by is that you've got this man, Tom Hanks, on a desert island with no one, and there's not one prayer uttered in the whole movie. That fascinated me. Because I'm thinking to myself, if I'm on a desert island with no one and no hope, I'm praying to God every single moment that I'm on there. And yet there's not one prayer uttered to God. Rather, what does he do? He finds a volleyball. And he grasps it with his bloody hand, makes a face, and he calls it Wilson because the volleyball company is Wilson. He's kind of losing his mind out there, as many of us probably would be. He develops this friendship with the volleyball. It just saddens me to think that he has more of a conversation with the volleyball than he does with God. And yet, if we believe in God's omnipresence, we know that God is just as present there with the Tom Hanks character 
on this desert island as he is with you and I here in this church building today? And why does he never call on the maker? Why does he not ever call on God when God is present and there the whole time? Well, I don't know if that's an intentional piece of of the writing of the movie, if they're trying to make a point or if it's an oversight. I have no idea. But for me, it was a very interesting observation. And especially as I come to a passage like this, east and west, north and south, high and low, there is no escaping God. Whether we're in a crowded room with thousands of people or on a desert island by ourselves, God is there. He's present. As we turn to verse 10, he says, Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And so no matter where he goes, now he kind of gives the answer. Could I go high and low? Could I go east and west? Where could I go to escape God's presence? And in verse 10, he answers that. Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now, I was preparing this, this message for this week. I couldn't help but think of Jonah as one who's trying to escape God. God tells him to go to Nineveh, but he decides to go to Tarshish, which on the map is a complete opposite direction. And yet going as far away from where God would have him go, God still orchestrates through God's presence events that would lead Jonah back to where God would desire him to go. He places him on a ship and causes the lots to fall on Jonah. Well, the people would throw him over the, the ship and there he is in the, uh, in the waters and a great fish comes and swallows him. And even there inside the belly of a fish, God's presence is very real in the life of Jonah. When Jonah finally goes to Nineveh and he's, I think, very timid and scared to have to give this message to to the Ninevites, God is there. Jonah's desire, though, is to see that that Nineveh perish. Jonah's desire is to see that God bring the judgment. Bring it all. Bring the judgment on. And he can't understand when Nineveh repents why God didn't bring the judgment. God doesn't bring the judgment because He didn't bring the judgment on the people that repented. They repented and got their heart right with God. So there would be no need for judgment on Nineveh now. But Jonah doesn't understand. And he's up there on a hill looking down on Nineveh and he's all upset, waiting for God to bring judgment and angry with God that He doesn't bring the judgment. And yet in God's mercy and in God's presence, He provides a vine for Jonah to catch some shade in the midst of Jonah's anger. See, even when we're angry and frustrated and have emotions that that might be challenging God, His presence and His love are right there with us to take care of us even when we're angry. There's no emotion that we can feel to escape the anger or the, the the, the presence of God. Our anger will not mean that God is no longer there. God is there, Jonah reminds me, even when I'm angry. And I think that's very good news to remember. In verse 11, he says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night 
around me. Could it get too dark for God to see us? Can we hide from God uh, and the light become night around me? Is there any way that I could hide from God in dark places? Uh, The answer to that is no, but we try to, don't we? We think that God can't see me if if I'm hiding in the darkness. And that can be spiritual dark times. Or that could mean that you shut off the lights and think that God can't see what's going on. But the reality is, God is there even in our darkest times. And I think that there's an aspect of almost silliness on our part to be thinking that we can escape God in any level here. But the way that I see this illustrated, and I want to give this illustration because to me it just makes it really powerful. When little kids play hide and seek, they stand in the middle of the room, cover their face, and they think that as long as my face is covered, I can't be seen. And the kid stands here in the middle of the room playing hide-and-seek, hiding like this, thinking that if he can't see you, you can't see him. Do we do this with God? Do we put our, face, do we put our hands up above our faces and try to hide from God in the darkness? The reality is there's no hiding from God. It's what we do, but it's silliness to God because of His omnipresence. Just like it's silliness for the adult playing hide-and-seek to see the child really think he's trying to hide just by covering his face. But yet we do this with God, don't we? Maybe we need to drop our hands and realize that there's no place we can go, no place that we can hide, nothing that we can do to escape his presence. And even in those times when we think we're hiding, when we think that we've got God's number and we've put our hands up and we're hiding our faces from him, no, he's not hiding from us. He's just as very real and present during those times as well. Verse 12, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. Everything that is done is done in the full presence of God. And for some of us, that makes us feel uncomfortable. It might. For others of us, it makes us feel very comforted. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably some times in our lives when the omnipresence of God makes us feel uncomfortable. And there's some times in our lives where the omnipresence of God makes us feel very comforted, depending on where we are in our relationship with God and what it is that we find ourselves doing. But God sees all. And so let's examine some implications of God's omnipresence. If God is everywhere present at the same time, what does this mean and and how does this relate to our lives practically? Well, it would mean, first, that God cannot be contained in any particular building. And Solomon understood this. In 1 Kings 8.27, Solomon writes, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Solomon's building a temple and it's supposed to be a place for God, but does it contain God? No. No building can 
contain God. God is present when we gather in this building here. But this is certainly not the only place that God comes and and meets people. He can meet people anywhere because of His omnipresence. And I had a personal experience when I had an opportunity to travel uh, to Israel. And one one of the things that really just made me appreciate the omnipresence of God was when we got to go to the Temple Mount. And this is a central location in Israel, in Jerusalem. It was the place where they claim that, uh, that, that Abraham would have gone up to the mountain to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's also the, the, the place where the, uh, the, the, the Holy of Holies would have been located in the, in the Old Testament. And it's a very central location. But the problem for the Jewish people now is that it's owned and run and protected by Muslims. The Muslims own the temple, the Temple Mount. And it's very problematic for Jewish people because their thought is that if Yahweh is God, He would have control of that Temple Mount. And so there's a lot of Jewish people that are wrestling with their faith. The Muslims think that their God, Allah, is God because they have the control of that Temple Mount. And yet here we are, a group of Christians, wrestling and thinking to ourselves, well, what about us? If Christ were God, wouldn't the Christians rule the Temple Mount? And our professor quickly reminded us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of the lives of believers today, not inside of a building. We can come to the buildings to gather as Christians who are temples of the Holy Spirit to encourage one another and to worship with one another, but we don't have to go to a temple to find God. We don't have to come to a building to find God. We can come to a building to draw closer in relationship with God and celebrate Him together, but not to find Him. And I took great encouragement from that because all of this warfare that's going on in the center of Jerusalem between the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians is very political. But on a spiritual level, Christ still reigns and through the power of the Holy Spirit dwells and finds His temple inside each one of us. Number two, God cannot be localized in any city or nation. Now, when I went to Israel, I thought that I would encounter God in some special way. But I did feel some strong emotions when I was traveling and walking where the footsteps of Jesus were, certainly. And I had some incredible prayer times and and devotions in those locations. And for me, the most important thing was that it just brought the Scriptures to life. And I have much more content, I believe, to share in my sermons and share with my students on the validity of the truth of the gospel because of the places that I've gone and, and the reality of the architecture and the, and, and, and the archaeology of what I've seen, I can share with validity that these things happened on the playing map of, of Israel. And so I still, even 20 years of teaching, I still share pictures and, and share my experiences with students at the beginning of each year to validate the truth of the Bible. But I didn't need to go to Israel to experience God. 
We don't need to go any particular place because God is already there. There are many of us, and I do believe, yes, that God has blessed our nation, but we are not isolated in the United States of America as a Christian nation apart from everybody else as far as where God dwells or where God's working. Certainly God is working in every nation in special ways because His presence is there. Politically speaking, I think that there's some benefits to putting God first in the sense of being a Christian nation, but not in the sense of pride. Like as an American citizen, I have some special connection to God just because of my politics. I don't believe that at all. God is everywhere present at the same time. He is in every country with believers, comforting them and loving them and honoring them. And I take great comfort in knowing that as well. That it's not about a particular country, a particular location, a particular place on a map where I can go and encounter God because He's already all present, always. And God is always present whether we believe it or not. See, I don't necessarily have to believe that God is present in order for Him to be present, do I? He's present even if I don't believe. And I encountered an interesting story of in the early days of space travel. A Russian cosmonaut returned from orbiting the Earth and had announced that when he looked out of his space capsule, he did not see any God anywhere. To which someone replied, had he taken off his spacesuit for one second, he would have seen God immediately. See, he didn't believe, but that doesn't mean that God is not present. And number four, He is always available to us wherever we go. He's on the job 24-7. You wake up in the middle of the night, you can't sleep, you're overwhelmed with anxiety, and we utter prayers recognizing that God's not taking a nap somewhere. He is available to us 24-7. And Hebrews 4.13 puts it in perspective when it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. In Jeremiah 23, 24, God says, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill the heaven and earth? Certainly God is everywhere present at the same time. And this should give us great comfort. I know for me, it gives me great comfort. I echo Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the second half of Hebrews 13.5 is one that we really should commit to memorization. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That God is always there. He's always present with us. In Psalm 34.18, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I take great comfort in that as well because I've gone through times where my heart has been crushed. And you have too. We take great comfort in knowing that God is drawing close to those who are broken in spirit. 
James 4.8 is a challenging verse where it says, come near to God and He will come near to you. And we ask, well, if God's everywhere present at the same time, how can God come near to me and how can I grow near to Him? But really what James is talking about is relationship. I can draw closer in relationship to somebody who's already there. I can choose to draw closer to my relationship with my wife even though we already are together so many hours of the day and living under the same roof. Or, by living under the same roof and being together so many hours of the day, we can choose to grow apart, can't we? And the physical presence has nothing to do with the relational presence. So what God is really saying here is even though He is omnipresent, we would do well in our relationship with Him to draw close to Him in relationship. And if we draw closer to Him in relationship, what's the promise? He will come near to you. It's about relationship. And I believe that practicing the presence of God is an important task. How would our lives be different if we walk out of this building and we are deliberately and intentionally aware of the presence of God? I think that would change everything that we do. Honestly, it would change our perspective. It would make the mundane meaningful. It would give purpose to everything that we do. A man by the name of Brother Lawrence wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And for 15 years, he was doing the mundane work of just washing dishes. And he admits that he hated doing this. But yet he writes, My day-to-day life consists of giving God my simple loving attention. If I'm distracted, He calls me back in tones that are supernaturally beautiful. The most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in His divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with Him in all seasons. At each moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. And what Brother Lawrence is saying is that when he felt like he was just doing mundane work, washing dishes in a monastery, how boring is that? He recognizes that when he became more aware of the presence of God in the daily mundane routines, it gave him much more purpose, much more perspective, and much more meaning. Perhaps that's where we find ourselves as well. Whatever it is that you're doing, consider the presence of God in doing it. Maybe there we find even more purpose in making the mundane meaningful. I want to close with a story of a young man who played football. For four years of high school, This young man gave everything that he had, but he never started a game. He just wasn't good enough. But his father was always there cheering him on. Went to every game for four years of high school. Then this young man gets in his head that he can make a college team. and Nobody thought that he could make the college team. If you can't start on the high school team, how are you going to make it on a college team? He goes to the college as a walk-on and he makes it as the last member of the team. They give him a jersey, I think just to be nice because this kid 
worked his tail off. But for four years in college, his father, continuing to go and support him and cheer him on at the games, this young man never played for four years. Then came the week before the final playoff game. They're out there at practice and the coach comes and hands the young man a telegram. The young man receives it. He starts to break down in tears. He says, coach, I got to leave. This message says that my father just passed away. And the coach says, take as much time as you need. In fact, you don't need to be at practice for the rest of the week. In fact, don't even bother coming to the game on, uh, on Saturday. You're not going to play anyways. So just take the time that you need to, to deal with your father's death. Well, as the week goes by, they don't hear from this young man. And finally, the last playoff game. The Saturday afternoon. It's the third quarter and the team is down by 10 points. And the young man finally makes his way into the locker room suits up, and goes out to the sideline. The team was surprised to see him. The coach was shocked, and the kid kept yelling at the coach, Coach, you got to put me in. Coach, I need to play. Coach, you got to put me in. Finally, the coach just had so much, he was over listening to this kid, that he finally decided in the fourth quarter, down by 10, to put the kid in the game as defense. Well, team scored another touchdown. Now they're back in the game. And at the very end, this kid's making plays after plays after plays, tackles and stops. At the very end of the game, this young man intercepts the ball and runs it all the way in for the winning touchdown. And the coach says, this is unbelievable. You haven't shown any promise whatsoever to do any of this all year long. For four years, I've watched you. You've done nothing. What got into you? And the young man says, well, you know my father passed away. And, and you know that he came to every game and cheered me on, even though I never played. But what you didn't know is that my father was blind. And today was the first game that he could see me play. And I went out on that field, and I did not want to let my father down. Here's the reality. God is at every game cheering you on, but He's not blind. He sees everything and He's a fan of us. He is so much a fan of us that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place because of His love for you. Do we honor Him by going out into the field of life whatever it is that we do, and give Him our best because of His love for us. Do we love Him back by giving Him our best? Simply close with Jesus' words as He departs and gives the disciples the Great Commission. The last part of it is Matthew twenty twenty eight. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He gave this as a reminder that he would not leave his disciples behind. I'm sure that there were times when they were being persecuted, when they were being tortured and put to death, 
that they felt like Jesus had forsaken them. But the words, surely I am with you always, till the very end of the age, ring true, and should give us comfort in our time of need, and should give us passion and purpose and perseverance when we leave these doors and we go out into the world. May we honor Him as His presence is there no matter what. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we do thank You for Your omnis. We thank You that You are omnipotent, all-powerful. We thank You that You are omniscient, that You know all. And we thank You, Lord, as we've seen today, that You are everywhere present. There is no place that we can go to hide from You, although we try to. We think we can. We put up our hands and hide our face and think that You can't see us. But Lord, I pray that recognizing and being more aware this morning of Your omnipresence would give us great passion to live life for You. May we be like that young man whose blind father could finally see him play. And go out and give life everything that we have to offer. Because you are not a blind father who can see. You are a present loving father who is right there in the game with us. And for that we're grateful. We're thankful for the words of Jesus. That you are with us always to the very end of the age. In your name I pray. Amen.